This is our second week in chapter five, but I can't promise you it's our last week in chapter five. It's just so much depth to these verses. So like it's verse by verse like it always is. But I'm not going to lie to you, like a lot of today is deeper than the verse word by word is going because. Paul does three relationships, if you, if, you, if you hadn't read ahead or no. He does three relationships to show us the connection of how relationships are like laboratories and God is the scientist trying to get us right. And he's using these relationships to do it. And he spends a lot of time on the very first one, which is marriage. So like we're kind of going to get a, a mini series in a series. Because we're going to stay with Ephesians as our series, but then we're going to do a mini series on relationships in Ephesians. So with that being said, like as I get on marriage and you just now saying, Yes, I will. Here's what you yes, I will to. Yes, I will submit to others. By the way, that's the first one. Everybody wants to say, oh, the first one's wives submit. No, the first one's we all submit. In case you missed it, it's all connected, right? Matter of fact, if you got any translation that's got verse 18 through verse 21 or 22, I'll tell you a little bit later, as more than one sentence, it's, it's interpreted wrong. Because the, the Greek in 18 all the way through is just one run-on sentence, which I love. Because when Crystal would grade my papers and proofread them for me when I was in school. Because not only can I not read, I can't write either. But when I would do that, she would tell me, like, you need a comma. You need a, you need a, why is this one sentence half the page long? And I was like, well, I was just typing my ideas and that's where it went. <laughs> but in the Greek, this, this is one run, run long, run on sentence. And it's so important that we get that, which you'll see at the very end. So you kind of got the beginning and the end. But anyway, so you just, yes, I will to submit everybody. Yes, I will as a wife. Submit to my husband, which I'm going to say a couple times, not woman to man. Y'all read it, right? We need to read. I'm sorry. I, I, I can preach the whole thing without reading, but that's, that's not right. Because some of y'all didn't do your homework in your centers. So I want to make sure we all know where we're at and we've read it. I'm, I'm going to go back to verse 20, which we, we also used last week. Um, and then, of course, we go back to 18 at the end, like I said. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the attitude of a believer. You're giving thanks in everything. You know, we talked about like walking around and, and not greeting each other with a song, but like, like there's worship songs just going on all the time. Like you just slinging rocks all the time, chopping down giants. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Out of respect for Christ is what it translates good into. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. By the way, who's verse 22? See, this is why I should not do the reading. I can't just read it like, like you know what I'm saying? Verse 22, why? who's verse 22 written to? It, it's right there. It's four whole letters with an S on the end. It's amazing. Even I can do it. Wives! I'm just giving a warning because there's some stupid men who will use this verse against their woman. It's not your verse, man. You understand me? It's her verse. You using her verse against her ain't going to solve nothing up in your house. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is written to her. Do you want her taking your verse a little bit later? Well, you know, you're supposed to be loving me like Christ loved the church. You think that's how Christ loved the church right there? No, that's his verse. Stay in your verse. I like that. I want that written down. If you don't even take notes, write it down. Stay in your verse. That applies to so many things, right? T-shirt. I want a T-shirt made with that. Where are you at? T-shirt. Yes. I don't care if you quit. I don't care if you retired. T-shirt. Huh? Wives. Not wives submit to your husband. That would not be a good T-shirt. You wouldn't sell a lot of those. 
Because the husband is the head wife, is Christ the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives to submit to their husbands in everything. Yes, it does say everything. I'm not going to gloss over that word. Now verse 25, husbands, you get a verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Man, it's hard not to start preaching on that. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, you're to love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, you can do all this because we're his. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. He's going back to Genesis. He'll be joined to his wife and the two will become one. Yes, we're going to talk about sex. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to respect her husband. Disclaimer, as I just now thought about that last part. If your child is old enough to understand words that may come up and under sixth grade. We got an awesome kid's haven that a lot of ladies spent a lot of time cleaning back up this morning. Now would be a good time as I go through a little review for them to get there. If not, and you have questions, don't email me. Don't text me. Don't say my child said I gave you a warning just now. Okay, I don't gloss over stuff. I'm going to run right through it. I'm going to handle it the way the Lord handles it. But I'm just being honest. Like if you're not ready for that, here's what you need to do. All right. So this this morning, before I before I even get into the, the, the review, has this morning been great for everybody? I, I didn't need like a church. It's not where I was going. I was actually going the opposite direction. But if you had a good day, that's great. Like you should be grateful. And that's awesome. But like, like, has this morning been rough for anybody else? It doesn't have to be. I'm not saying get mourned with me. Right? It's been a rough morning, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. It was rough last night for like little short, short bursts, which was funny. Cause like, you know where you get in trouble? I'm gonna tell you right now where you get in trouble as a man. You get in trouble as a man when you got an expectation and the expectation ain't met. I don't, I don't know if any of you can relate. Maybe this is, maybe that's my problem. But like I had this expectation. I said, I'm gonna take off work Saturday. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend the whole day. We're gonna see all the games. We're gonna have a brunch with the family in between the games. Then we're gonna come back to the field. You know, we're, we're gonna get that done. And then we're gonna have the afternoon together. And we're gonna sit in a circle in the living room and sing kumbaya and hold hands. And like, like I just had it all. And the first half went pretty darn good. And, I, and I'm telling you this because I, I love it. I really do because I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, it's the work of the enemy. And if the enemy is so scared of what we got today in the word of God that he started fighting and started started poking and started trying his hardest to interrupt, including the, this church building this morning with stuff just being chaotic in the gym. Because if he wanted to do all that to interrupt it, I laugh because he don't know that my daddy comes in when I can't handle something and he takes care of it. And I don't mean that one back there that's getting old and decrepit that probably can't handle a lot no more. Tell not my spiritual daddy. You know what I'm saying? Somebody come by and they'll talk all the time. Man, you, you think you can handle it now? I said, boy, he got two fake knees. Like, like one little jab and a kick to the knee and it's over. Like, you got nothing in the world. I mean, can I handle it anymore? But my spiritual daddy, Abba Father, Abba Father's going to come on and he, go, he done told Satan he got to go. I, we, we left. Well, the ladies were still cleaning. I left because I didn't want to get my church clothes dirty. Um, then the gym. And I went upstairs. It was burning hot. So I opened my window and I sat down and I, and I wanted to do my normal routine. I couldn't do it. 
couldn't, the Lord it just wouldn't let me. I don't know if it was just making me uncomfortable that he had to do to whatever. So, so I bust open the back door upstairs, and there's this little T90. You've never been up there. Don't go up there. It's a fire hazard. Uh, but, but there's this little tiny square with steeps like, steps like this steep. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking out as the sun's coming over this field, and the cool breeze comes over me, and, and, and I just went into, like, some awesome prayer time. Like 30, 40 minutes later, I come back in, and I'm looking at my notes, and I'm like, man, this is supposed to be, like, where I go through everything. But it, it, was, it was bathed in prayer. And I think that's a little bit more important than a routine. You know what I'm saying? Like we let routine sometimes get in the way. Y'all let routine mess you up thinking it was two songs instead of one. You know, and I don't think there's a right order or wrong order. I'm just saying like we, we let routine sometimes confuse things. And I just want you to know, like if you had a, if you had a great morning, rejoice. Be glad in it. But if you had a rough morning, Abba Father's going to come on in and clean the way. But that's what he wants to do in the word. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's what he's been paving through this whole thing in Ephesians. Maybe that's a good transition into it. So, so Ephesians, you got five and six now. The rest of it, we're going to do those relationships, which I love because I think he's using a principle that you and I wouldn't even have thought of. Like it's something we do 24-7 that we never would have realized if he didn't point it out. If you're married, you're with that person all the time. If you've got kids, that relationship's going on all the time. If you got a job, that relationship's going on all the time. If you ain't got a job, get a job. You know, so, so you got like all kind of all kind of stuff here with these relationships. And God is using them as this laboratory to make us more like himself. But he started it all. Here's your little quick review. He started it all with his main purpose. Number one in chapter one, verse 12. God's main purpose for us is Christ likeness. So that means I got to be a husband like Christ would be a husband. If you're married, your lady's got to be a wife in Christ likeness. Like, like he's the bride, right? You know what I'm saying? So, so we got this. And, and, and from that, what did it tell us in, in those first couple chapters? This is to bring him glory. This is so that as his daughters, we begin to imitate and resemble. We love what he loves. We hate what he hates. We react like he reacts. Now, all those morning things I just told you about, I didn't react like I should have reacted. Yesterday, my sweet little princess came home and had she's not in the room. Is she? she came home and she had this like idea. But like. This sounds worse than it was for her. Like, I can't stand when somebody wants something. But they don't understand you got to sacrifice something else to get something. That makes sense. Like you don't get to go play with your friend and then go here with the mall with Omi. And, and you don't get to do all that and still come home and have what you wanted to have at the house. Because people at the house have a life, too. So they've already made plans and sacrifices to do. Not that, not that any of those things are bad. All of them were great things. Even the pre-plan and the out, you know what I'm saying? All great things. But you got to decide which one you want. And you got to sacrifice something generally to get Something else. So, so maybe that was just a free server from somebody who didn't know it. Right? So she comes out and, and I snuffed a little bit. It wasn't horrible. Except for my wife's face in the background. Maybe it wasn't worse than I thought. Right? But, but, but it was there. And then this morning, I got over it, by the way. I, I have, I have forgiveness. Um, from, from her and the Lord. Uh, you know, but, but, but then this morning, like my wife calls me who gets here early to tend to stuff. She says, man, this gym is a wreck. Da, 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 da. I don't know who's doing a construction. So, so. I'm not a good person. My wife ain't happy. That's when I get to like that borderline area. I'm just, I'm just telling you, right? So like, you don't mess with mama. You can poke me all you want to. We can high five at the end. I can laugh while you poke. You poke mama and it's on, right? So, so, so I call a contractor. Happens to be a family member. That's always fun, right? I want to know who was here. I want to know where they live. Cause I'm going, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm, it ain't, I didn't cuss none. I stayed holy in speech. 
It was some righteous anger. But it was straight up like, I'm going to take care of this one way or the other. My wife down there, I didn't know she had other ladies down there getting dirty with her and cleaning and dusting and, and all the stuff to get church back ready. My wife's scared to death. Kids are going to be in here while we talk about sex and marriage. And, and like she's like, we got to get the kids into kids haven because of what you're going to talk about. She's scared to death. She's working. She's moving. Oh, I wasn't happy. Now, I ended the conversation better. And it was all good. But but I'm just telling you, like, sometimes when we when we get to those moments, we got to know how we handle them. Right. And that's what he's saying. He goes, are you reacting the way Christ would want you to react? Now, I'm not saying Christ expected me to call and be like. In the name of Jesus, I love you. But you guys left the mess last night. Maybe that's not the best sentence either. I'm just saying, like, we, we got to react like he reacts. And this whole process is the word sanctification. We don't use a lot of religious words up in here, but, but sanctification is a fancy religious word for making like God. It's a process. You, I hope you're still being sanctified right now, believer. You're becoming more and more like Christ, more and more like God. Second thing he said in this thing is that in the beginning of Ephesians, he said that God is sovereign. Which means God knows everything. God's planned everything. God's in control of everything. In verse 11 of chapter 1, it said, God works all these things out to the counsel of his will. Meaning he's got a purpose for your life and you should be doing that purpose and nothing else. Like it's all about his purpose, not ours. So then he takes all these principles and truth and now he throws them into relationships. All right. And as he throws them into relationships, here's kind of the the theme for our little mini series in the series with the end of this letter. God uses our relationships to teach us about himself and to make us like himself. God uses our relationships. He's going to list three of them. We're going to take three to four weeks on them. Just being honest. Right. It uses those relationships to teach us about himself and to be like himself. And the very first way it starts, verse 21, pick up where we left off last week. It says the spirit filled life is what mutual submission, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. We are if we're filled. Maybe I should put it if because I told you that verse 18 is one sentence. So if you go back to 18, you're seeing he says, if you're a believer, if you're filled with the spirit, these are the things you should be doing. And he lists all kind of like good things that we we should be doing. And then in that list, he says we should also be submitting. So if you're filled with the spirit, it's going to show in your mutual submission, not by the fear of man, but from the fear of the Lord. So you got to make sure your, your motive is right. And when you, you see the word submit here, here maybe might help us in a little more understanding. It's a military word he's using. He's speaking to people that would be used to, to that, that kind of wording stuff. So it's a military word, so it's like a rank. And he's flat out just saying, like, you in the military, you got different ranks. Lower ranks surrender. So there's order. If we're all just running around without order, that God is not the author of confusion. Satan is. Right? So there's got to be an order to this event. So what he's saying is this. If you think of it in levels of rank, and we all know, I think it's safe to say, like, you can have a private that is smarter, more talented, and, 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 and you know, readily available than a general. That doesn't, that doesn't demean his ability or his, his, his worth or his value. It just means at that rank, he surrenders over to this other rank. So when people see this word and they use this word, especially when we transition in there into the wives, this is not this is not a demeaning thing. This is not a lowering thing. It's nothing to do with that. This is just so that God can have order like he likes to have. And plus, it takes the burden off of you. you know, I'm being serious. If you surrender to him, who do you think God's going to slap in the head if things ain't going right? Not you. Thankfully, he's going to slap him. Right. So, so keep that in mind as we go through this. So as we as we look at this, it's not smarter. It's, it's, it's authority. 
It's an order of authority that it's going to. And he says in the fear of the Lord, the motive. And the motive is not social kindness. It's not so we can sing kumbaya. The order is not even so, so that we're following the law of God. The order, the motive, the motive in this thing is what? Fear of the Lord. We submit because we love Jesus. We submit because we're crazy about him. And, and as I was reading, I told you the better word here is, is this word respect. Because it's combined with love. He's talking about love and he's talking about. So, so it's a respect kind of thing. It's a fear in disappointing Jesus. You guys ever got to a stage in your walk where like, and you can take this with the parent relationship, the boss relationship, or the spouse relationship. You ever got to a stage in those relationships like you feared, you know, disappointing them? Like you cared enough or like, like it was me. I'll be honest, like I, like I would rather have the beating at the end of the day if I did something wrong than to know mom and dad was about to give me this speech on how like disappointed they were. When they used that word, it was like, dang it. Football field. If a coach comes up to you, man, I'm really disappointed how you handled that. That sucks. Your boss at work, man, I'm disappointed how you did that job. That sucks, right? Think about it. Parent to child, and then, and then spouse. Do you feel like a, like a, a grieving thing inside when like your spouse is disappointed in you? That, that's what he's getting at here when he says out of this respect for Jesus. We love Jesus so much, we're afraid to disappoint him. Or you should be afraid, right? So the Lord does not define the extent of the wife's submission or the limit of the wife's submission. It defines the motive of the wife's submission. That motive is a respect for Jesus, if nothing else, right? It's got nothing to do with the husband's intelligence. Thank God. Amen. Right? It's got nothing to do with his giftedness or his capability. It has to do with honoring Christ and honoring his order that he's put forth. It has nothing to do with whether the husband's right or whether the husband's wrong. It has to do with Jesus being right and Jesus not being wrong. All right? So, so P.S., let me say this. Maybe some of you are in the non-married group right now, but you want to be married. Like, you got an idea about it. That's, that's part of your, your desire in life, right? You pick them. Look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to pick. Amen, right? He said, yeah. So you're going to pick the one that you submit to. And when you look at it that way, maybe his attractiveness and his money and all that stuff might not be as important as you thought it was. Right? Because what are you really picking him for? I don't know about you guys, but if I was a lady and I was trying to pick a guy that I know I'm going to have to submit to in everything for the rest of my life, I wanted to be a guy I can respect. Right? I wanted to be somebody like I willingly desire, like like I love the way they're going to treat me and it's going to make my submission to them even easier, which we're going to get to that in a minute on, on how it's so hard for some of you because of the jerks you're married to. But we're going we're gonna to go there, right? Like, so, so think about this. As you're picking this person, maybe we need to understand, like, you need to choose somebody who you can respect. Stop looking for the sugar daddy. Stop looking for Prince Charming. Stop looking at just looks because I'm going to tell you now, he's going to get wrinkly and saggy too. Right? That's just what it is. I wasn't always bold. I had cool hair for a little while. Right? It, it left. Right? So, so just keep that in mind. So let's, let's jump into this marriage thing, man. Let's, let's look at what he says, which, by the way, I'm going to take a lot of this section that we're about to go into now as we get to the main points from Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, which is in on, where Paul, you know, goes back to quoting. So in Ephesians 5, it says, For a man shall leave his father and his mother. He shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. Then it says this. I, lo- I love verse 32. It says, This mystery is profound. What's the mystery that he's talking about? The relationship of Christ and the church. He's saying, like, like, 
the, the mystery of Christ in the church is so profound, like we don't really get it. We can look at the doctrines and the principles and we can we can quote some cool ideas, but we don't really get how Christ and the church become one. Right. How how he sacrificed and gave up everything for us and how we should be willingly to submit so much so that like when we're not submitting to him, it becomes a burden to us. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like 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 it, it, it grieves us to be apart from him. That, that, that's where he's going. And he says the way you're going to understand this just a little bit better is by understanding this thing of marriage. So I'm going to give you this illustration as as he goes. So God gave us marriage to teach us about his love for us. He gave us marriage to teach us how we should love him back. And there's some cool principles in this. And the first one is this. In the delights of marriage, we get a taste of the beauty of God. Now, I'm going to start with the with the with the simple good stuff and then we'll go on to some harder stuff. Right. But, But think about it. In the delights of marriage, verse 32, we get a taste of the beauty of God. What what did he just say? A love where two human beings become one. Yes, of course. Part of what we're talking about is sexually. No doubt about it, okay? That, that, that is where he's going. That's where he went in Genesis when he talked about it. But what do you get when you get that kind of relationship from somebody? If I'm supposed to be learning about God's love, here's what you get. You get, in, you get to experience godly jealousy. You ever been like jealous for your wife? Right. Like you talk about getting T-shirts made when my wife decided to go back to law school because because I think my wife is the most beautiful thing in the world. Right. So like when she's going to go back to these little young punk college kids, I wanted a T-shirt made. And on that T-shirt was going to be this face. You know what I'm saying? Maybe maybe on the back of the T-shirt, I had to snag like an old school picture where I was throwing up like four or five on the bench. Notice it had to be old school because it don't happen no more. Right. Like like I, I wanted all that in this today. New hands off mine. Right. I got to experience some godly jealousy. Now, she tells me it's not godly, but it is, baby. It is. According to what Paul write in Ephesians, I'm all godly. Right. How about this? We get, we get to learn about unconditional love. You don't truly know unconditional love. I'm being serious until you've developed a relationship where unconditional love is tested. Now, that can happen in the marriage. That can happen in the parent. That can happen at work or any other relationship. But Paul uses these relationships to, to get our mind understand. Like we begin to learn that unconditional love through these relationships. Right? Like you, you ain't been disappointed till you till you figure it out like after living with somebody that they not who you thought they were. Right? There, there's some stuff that you know what I'm saying? You got it. That first time we're like he has a toothpaste all over the sink. Or the first time he didn't clean the toilet after using it. You, you and me must have the same problems, brother, because I'm listing mine and you getting amens over there. Right? Like, <laughs> but we need to understand, like, like you don't know disappointment until you're there. Some of y'all got this picture about, like, your marriage and all that stuff, and you're like, oh, it's going to be so good. It's so good. And you're about to get the daylights knocked out of you. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you're about to be, you're about to be welcomed into a relationship that you didn't quite think it was going to be quite this way. Right? And, and here's part of that problem. We've confused what the relationship is supposed to be. And we've done that through sex, which I think is why Paul brings this oneness idea together. So we understand the physical oneness, which then goes into spiritual oneness. We've messed. Our culture has confused biblical intimacy with just physical sex. We think intimacy is sex. No, not always. It can be. It can be a great addition to it, but not always. And when we do that, sex becomes our primary focus and our expectation. And when you got what I say, when you got the wrong expectations, it's going to mess up your big picture. So when you got that as primary focus and expectation, it erodes the intimacy and the oneness. And all it really does, to be quite honest, guys, is lead to more problems. 
I'm serious. You don't have a sex problem in your relationship. You've got a oneness problem in your relationship. Really? Now, if you keep that intimacy, you keep that mutual love, that servitude that we're about to get into, really, and that is the main focus, you can have healthy sex as an outcome. And to be quite honest, if you men need to amen it, you can have more of it. Seriously. So, so this can be a really good thing as we go through this. So here's some of the things about sex we need to understand. As we jump in this beginning, right? Sex is symbolic. It's a signpost. I'm going to the Grand Canyon one day. I, 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 well, unless the Lord takes me home tonight, I'm going to make it there. I'm going to make it there one day. I'm going to hike in there. I'm going to check out the beauty of there. And I know it's so big you can't hike the whole thing, so I ain't going to do that. But I'm going to hike a portion of it, right? I'm going to check out a portion of it. But I'm not going to start driving to the Grand Canyon. And when I get to about Tennessee and I see this sign that says Grand Canyon, still 500 miles away. I'm not going to stop right there, get out and take, Crystal, take a picture. We made it to the Grand Canyon. No, we made it to a signpost. And that's what some of us do with sex. Sex is a signpost for the intimacy God wants us to have, not only with one another, but with him. So we get to the sex part and we're like, oh, we made it. You didn't make it. You made it to a signpost. Right? Does, does that illustration make, do I understand it? So it's symbolic. Here's what else is symbolic of. All from scripture. Paul said it like this, the relationship between Christ and the church. What does that mean then? We'll go back to Genesis 2 when he first described it. He said, marriage, you get to see each other naked and not ashamed. Now I tell people marriage counseling all the time. Of course that means physically. Right? You get to be naked and not feel bad about it anymore. Woo! Should amen that because it might not be many opportunities, right? But, but it's deeper than that if we're talking about spiritually. Because now he's saying, like, you get to be naked emotionally with your spouse. You get to be naked spiritually with your spouse and still not feel ashamed. Meaning you get to have breakdowns at one in the morning because law school sucks and you don't have to feel bad about it. Right? You get to have that. How is it with us in Christ? So you're saying the same picture. I don't have to be ashamed in Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like, Like he knows what I've done. So when I come to him. He's still willing to cover me up and bathe me. He's still willing to love me. He's still willing to make it known. So, so there's just a brief one. And again, I can stay on this stuff for weeks, man. So I'm going to try to go through a lot of it. How about fruit? Well, we know from intimacy, keeping it PG, I promise. We know from intimacy that we produce fruit. A woman falls in love in the arms of her man. And a little while later, her body develops fruit. Right? Think about that. What is it with Christ? What does Christ say? You put yourself in the arms of Christ and fruit is born. You can't develop none of the fruit we've been talking about until what? Christ is inside of you. We can't produce fruit in the world until what? Christ is moving inside of us. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, he's got a cool illustration. He says, what if aliens came to Earth? Not not to get on alien kick, right? But he says, what if aliens came to Earth and they started observing, not absorbing, that would be kind of weird too. They started observing, observing, you know, us when we get ready to go to college. And he says, they would see us in the... Let me give the illustration you understand. They would see us like get to these rooms with our, our, our roommate and start hanging up these posters. And everybody would want to come see everybody's poster because of what was on the poster. And when they came in the first room, they'd look and there was this giant 22 ounce steak. It had just been grilled. It was, it was still dri- like the picture was just so clean and so off. Right? You go to the next room and this guy would have this Sunday. Kind of like Asher last night at the at the restaurant. Like he didn't know what the name of it was, but he could point it to the picture. And he knew that's what he wanted. Right? This, this right here is what I want. Right? So, so you got that. And then, like, like after that, like they they you, you would notice like when they when they go back home, like they would they would have images that they could look up on the computer. And they couldn't stop clicking, and they would see this ad for the food. 
right? And and then like when when, when it was all around, like they would they would just gobble it up as much and as fast as they could, and they would go. What would aliens think about this kind of culture on Earth? I will stare at you till you answer. I don't care. What would they think? No, not yet. That's going to come. What is it? Well, either either they love food or they're starving. Right? I mean, if everything they desire is just to, to see food and to get the food, they're starving. Now, what if as the aliens begin to continue to, to watch over us, notice I uh, got away from that word, right? Like, as they watch over us, they understand, like, man, they got all the food they can get. Like, they go to buffets and they, they pile it on and they get their plates full. And when they go home, they got a cabinet that they grab snacks out of. And what then would the aliens have to do, have to get to? Now they're unhealthy. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So they had this, they had this craving because they thought they were starving. And then when the aliens realized they're not starving, they got unlimited access and they're abusing it. Now they realize, man, they've got an unhealthy relationship with food. Now, if you slip that picture and flip that picture to what we all thought that first poster was going to be, does it not really portray? We've got access to it all the time, sure, but we've got an unhealthy access, an unhealthy desire for it. Amen. And that's what he's getting to. So, so let's, let's get through some of the, and just to prove, I thought of this last night, my wife was, was saying something, just to disprove this myth we said last week that sex is just physical. Now, these are some tough questions, but I, it, it will prove the point, right? Sex is not just physical. I'm just gonna prove it with like five, four questions, I think it is. If, if that's true, if culture's right and sex is just physical, then why is it that when a child is sexually abused, it's so difficult for them to shake it off? I think it's because it's more than physical. If, if, if sex is just physical, why is rape so much harmful to a woman than simply her just getting beat up? I think it's because it's more than just physical. Hmm? Why is adultery so hard to shake off? Why can you forgive, you know, them stealing money or lying about what they bought at the store quicker than you can adultery? Because it's more than just physical. Right? Why is it that most people's greatest regrets are always sexual? And I say always because every time I've ever sat down with somebody who's about to tell me, then they started with this. I've never told anybody this. I know it ain't going to be that they cheated on the math test. Seriously, it's always going to be something sexually related. Always. So if that's their deepest regret they've never told anybody, is it safe to say that sex is more than just physical? Is it safe to say that God gave it to us as a gift to prove more than just physical ideas? Which leads to another thing about sex that you better make sure you understand. Sex is sacred. It's a sacred thing, man. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul is writing another church that's struggling because they live in the same kind of error that the, that the Ephesians lived in, which we talked about for weeks. And he says this in chapter The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. He's tying these things together and he's saying the human body is so much more than just this biological machine. It's a vehicle for our soul. He goes even deeper in verse 19, and he reminds us that our bodies are literally the temple of God because God's presence dwells within us. Then he goes back. If you go back, I go back to 16. He'd already wrote it. You go back to 16. He says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute? Yes, you can imagine what he's talking about. And I hold hands and singing Kumbaya. For it is written, the two will become one flesh. When you have sex, your body becomes one body with the person you're having it with. And Paul is writing this thing and he used, notice, he uses the cheapest form of sex imaginable. 
And when he does it, prostitution, in case you didn't get it, right? He still takes the cheapest form of sex available and he, and he ties it together with the word joining that scripture's been talking about. You think God's serious about this thing? You think we've screwed it up enough? Sex is so much more than biology. It's a deep soul level unity. Here's a little mini sermon in the sermon for you. Just jot them down because I can preach a whole week or two weeks or three weeks on this too. There's three biblical purposes for sex. One, yes, all you old school culture Baptist people use it all the time, right? Procreation. You should only have sex if you're trying to have a kid. You got a born sex life then. Straight up, right? Why? Because well, here's another reason. So that's one. I'm not saying it's not a reason. That's obviously one. What are you talking about? Multiply. Make some babies. Fill the earth. What the fun? Did you know biblical sex is fun? You think it felt good because it had to? No, it feels good because God chose to make it feel good. How about Proverbs 5.18? A man should be ravished with his wife's breasts. That's not like it's a bad thing. Oh, no, you ain't got to hold your head for me, baby. I don't care. We will talk about it, spiritually speaking. Right? I see how y'all. Don't look at him. Don't make eye contact. It's going to be bad. Right? All the teenagers. Teenagers ain't took a note yet. They writing this down. Proverbs 5, 18. Be ravished with breasts. I'm speaking in my boy. The rest of you wrote it down. Notice what it says. Your wife's breasts. Seriously, what does it tell you? Let the things excite you, but they better be hers and nobody else's. Right? He made it fun. I'm telling you right now, man, if y'all didn't know he made it fun for you, y'all missing out. We need to have a whole nother. Maybe that won't be a Sunday morning class. My wife can pick her head up, but maybe a Sunday night class. Right? And the last thing, third, I told you there's three things, right? Proactive, fun, or procreative, proactive. <laughs> yeah, you proactive too, man. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. Uh, the last one, what we're talking about, it's unitive. That unity that we're talking about, right? This profound unity. And this is why this is so important, guys. You can let marriage teach you about God's love, but you can't let it replace God's love. So if you got the wrong view of this stuff, you're going to put a weight on your marriage that it's not meant to carry. Your marriage is not meant to make you happy. Some of y'all, y'all just got your bubble pop. You're like, holy cow, what? He's not made to make you happy. She's not made to make you happy. She's an addition. He's an addition. But they're not, they better not be your sole existence for happiness. Because if so, some happenstances is going to come and it's going to suck. Right? Understand it. And what, what if we were to think the rays coming off the sun replace the sun itself? That's kind of what we do if we think marriage is it. He's, Paul was saying, like, I'm giving this as an illustration that should tie back. So when rays come down from the sun, we shouldn't get amazed by the rays. We should follow them up to the sun. Right? They can't replace one another. And my goodness, if Paul stopped in Ephesians 5, 24, it would be so easy for every woman in here to feel like all the obligations are on her. But I'm so thankful he goes to 25 because I'm going to spend a lot of time there because I think that's the biggest problems we got. 25, husbands, love your wives. Paul gives this command to the to the wife and then he safeguards it with this command to the man. You can submit to him. Why? Because he's going to love you. He's, he's going to love you in, in like this really special way. It doesn't give a husband an excuse for acting like a tyrant over his wife. It gives him a deeper command and a deeper understanding of this thing. No husband is entitled to say that he's the head of the wife 
you know, unless he loves his wife is what this verse is saying. You don't love her. You don't get this. So the reign of the husband is to be the, the reign and the rule of love. It's a leadership of love like Christ. Christ loved the church. Right. He sacrificed for the church. He also sometimes had to punish the church. So there's those moments and they're OK. Love your wives. Understand this. We know he's right in Ephesus. Where did they speak in Ephesus? Greek. Right. Good job. Yeah, because they're from Greek territory. All right. So so what do we if, if you've done any of our studies before, you know, there's four words for Greek, right? For love. I know if you remember them, so I made sure to put them in my notes so that you could just be reminded of them one more time. Right here. He's writing agape. It was like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. But but here, here's what he's not right. Well, here's let me, let me explain each one first. So you got four types of love. You got eros. Right. Which is where we get the road erotic. So it's driven by desire. Yes, it is. When you see the ravished breast. And you go crazy over them, right? Then you got storage, which is like a family kind of love. It's driven by blood. That's like, you know, a, 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 a mama loving her baby and a, and a daddy loving, you know, the child or, or verse versa. So you got that. Then you got philia, which is third word for love. That's brotherly friendship. You can kind of put a note here. Something uh, me and Jeremiah were actually talking about somebody he knows back home made me think on this one. I think I think philia would be the highest form of love you could get without the Holy Spirit inside of you. So you, you meet some people sometimes that they, they've got it. They, they have that brotherly love. Where we get the name Philadelphia from in the city, right? I don't know if they still got that going on, but that's what they're supposed to have, right? So, so like they love people. They care about people. They, they genuinely want the best for people. That's, that's the highest you can get without the Holy Spirit. They care about somebody else's interest. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So, but the word he uses here is agape. Now, here's what I want us to understand. He doesn't use eros and he doesn't use storage and he doesn't use philia because those are loves that are felt. Right? You understand? Those three things have to be felt. They're, they're, these describe instinctive love. You know, they come from the heart. It's something spontaneous that, that comes out. Paul assumes you already got these things. I point that out because a lot of times we go through marriage stuff and talk to people and we're like, oh, that stuff doesn't matter. It matters. Understand. Eros. Desire. It matters. Philio. Fondness. It matters. He's not saying they don't matter. He's writing, assuming, well, of course you guys already got these things, right? You didn't ask her out because you thought she was ugly. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it wasn't there. So he's assuming those things. Then he moves on to this copy love, the word he uses in this command, and he's making sure they understand, and they would understand this. This is more of a decision kind of love. It's not spontaneous. It's not something that comes from the heart. It's something you're choosing to do. You choose to love that partner undeservingly. You choose to surrender. You choose. It doesn't have anything to do with your feelings. Understand that. So this isn't like this emotional feeling, all kind of. No, that ain't what it is. It goes so much deeper. It's a love that goes with self-denial for the sake of the other. It's a love that, 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 that loves without changing because conditions don't determine it. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. Like, oh, man, I thought I was rubbing her feet and want something in advance. And that was a good thing. No. You wanted something back, you were messing up, right? It's a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable. Because it's not about who they are, it's about what they deserve. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Which is sad, because I know a lot of us who've had this and we've, we've been rejected, but you keep on doing it. Agape love gives love because it wants to. It's demanded to. It doesn't expect repayment from it or anything like that. It's not giving in order to receive. It just wants to do it, right? I point this out, guys, because it'd be so easy to read this section. And so many little self-help books have, have got this section like, husbands, be kind to your wives. Husbands, be, be nice to your wives. That ain't what it's saying. 
when you understand it, what it's saying, and don't get me wrong, I think being kind to your wife, being loving to your wife, like that would improve your marriage a little bit already. Some of you, that's what you need. Right? Just being honest. Right. But that's not what Paul's writing. What Paul's writing is husbands continually decide to practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. Let me repeat it. Husbands continually decide to practice self-denial for the sake of your wives. But what is this original law of first mention, right? What, what, what is this thing getting at? Go back to Genesis. You find four ways the man is to be a leader for his wife. First way, provision. Before God brought him a wife, he had him a job. Make sense? Pretty simple, right? Girls, hear me out right now. If he ain't got a job, if he's still living with mama, if he, if, if you want to sleep on Looney Tune sheets while you're 40 years old, then go ahead and get you a man that ain't got no job. Okay? But the very first thing he's supposed to have according to scripture is a job. Right? You ain't want no deadbeat working for you. He's to be a provider. That one seems pretty easy. We ain't got to go no deeper, right? All right. Number two, spiritually. He's supposed to lead spiritually according to at the very beginning and now, right? When, when, when Eve is created, Adam's already got a relationship with God. You ever thought about that? He's already in a deep relationship with God. He's already decided, like the song we just said, yes, I will, God. I will do what you told me to do. I'm going to go name the animals. I'm going to tend to the garden. I'm going to take care of things. I'm going to, he's, by the way, he's already been commanded. I'm going to stay away from that tree you told me to stay away from. He's already got a spiritual relationship going. So therefore, if he had the first spiritual relationship, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader. The man is supposed to lead the woman spiritually. What does the verse say that Paul's got in Ephesians? He washes her with the word. Now, no, that don't mean you put your woman in the shower and wash her up and down with the word. That ain't what he's talking about. Right? That'd be some weird stuff right there. Right? Washing with the word is this. It means that you become the primary mouthpiece declaring God's feelings for your wife. It means that Paul just spent three chapters talking about how God feels about you. Why? So that you understood it. So therefore, as the mouthpiece, what should you be portraying over your wife? Baby, you valued. You're cherished. You are precious in the sight of God. You've got a bright future because God's got great big old plans for you. You take everything Ephesians has been preaching already and you now apply it to your wife. Not in a, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't, you suck at that. You're not, you're not that good. You don't look that. You ever, you ever, you ever seen relationships like that? Maybe some of you been in them and that's sad and it's heartbreaking and it's ungrateful because it's not godly. The problem we have with this section of scripture, by the way, I never mentioned it, is because we've seen it misabused. We've seen it messed up so many times in the world, right, that we, we hadn't had good examples of it. That's why we don't like wives submitting to husbands. That's why we don't like submission in general, right? Because the world is messing up. But what if every day you, you took something from Scripture and bathed your wife with it? Baby, you, you are preciously made because you're made in the image of God. God just gave you your dream job. Because he's got a plan for your future that will blow your mind when you finally see it. Right? You're the best homekeeper there is. And the, the, the time that you're dedicating into your children is amazing for what they're going to become through God's plan for you. You've put up with him for far too long. But thank God for the example that you've done in doing it. Right? What if we bathed them? And man, let me ask you this. If you don't even write down, you better write this down, man. I'm dead serious, right? What if your wife's identity 
This was big on me this week. I thought it was just for me, but I'm going to share it. What if your wife's identity was built solely on your compliments and encouragement to her? What if your wife's identity was built solely on your compliments and encouragement to her? And of course, the opposite is true. What if her identity is based on all the negative crap you throw at her? Right? How balanced would her eternal life be? Then? How balanced would her emotional life be? We're going to get real. Let's just get real with all of it, right? Man, we're supposed to be growing. Let's get sore in the gym. Huh? What, what, what does Paul tell him? Verse 26, he tells the husband, it is your role to help your wife live faultless before God. Wow. You want to know part of what I think is on Paul's mind right here, by the way? I think part of what's on Paul's mind is she ain't never going to be able to submit to you if you suck as a husband. So you're going to make it real hard for her to live up to the promise she just commended to do in the spirit. And it's going to be your fault. You ever thought about it that way? What if Paul's straight up saying, man, my wife's messing up. Because you messing up. Now, it doesn't get you off the hook, woman. Please don't understand. That's not what I'm trying to say. You don't get to have the old it's his fault kind of rule. That ain't how it works. I'm just saying I think Paul would have understood. Right. What if that's what he's saying? Told you I keep on these things for a while. I don't know where we're going to stop. We're going to keep going. Third thing from Genesis. He's the lead in provision. He's the lead spiritually. Now he's the lead in romance. Oh, man. That's exactly what some of you guys just now thought. Crap. Yeah, you got to light the candles. You got to dim the lights. You got to play the music. Right? <laughs> I'll prove it with scripture. Some of you are like, man, that ain't in scripture. Go to Genesis 2.26. You realize the first, this, this, this was pretty cool. I didn't realize. Hold on, let me, let me create it. I don't think this is the first word spoken, but it's the first word recorded by a human. Understand. I, I, I think Adam spoke with the Lord is what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't, I don't think like he was like not allowed to talk to God. I think they did a lot of talking, a lot of growing, a lot of, a lot of relationship, right? But the first words recorded, Genesis 2.26, Adam says, now this is bone of my bone. Somebody find the verse that says this now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I knew by bouncing around from book to book, I was going to mess it up. I just thought I might have not have did it. 23, Genesis 2, 23. Maybe I can't read my own notes. I was close. Right. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Now I want you to picture this scene, guys, because what he's doing is he's writing poetry. He's writing poetry. Now, some of y'all got the same idea Cliff got. Cliff's thinking, that's the best he's got. That's it. His poetry is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He's seeing a naked girl for the first time. Give him some slack. You know what I'm saying? His mind, his googly eyes is probably going. He don't even know yet. Right? This is now bone of my bone. He's writing poetry, a love song to his wife. That's the first words he records. Your first words are vital, man. I watched a video yesterday. It's pretty cool. Where, where, where a lady who had been deaf for a whole life gets, gets these hearing aids where she can hear. And, and I'm watching and I'm like, man, her, her, her boyfriend, they've been together for like five years, right? Little thing, right? And, 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 and her mama, her mama's right there and her mama keeps on talking. Like she's excited. And I'm like, man, is the dude going to say anything? Like maybe he's afraid. Like she can hear now. She's leaving me. Like I, I don't know. Like what, what's he do? I mean, that's all the thoughts running in my head, man. I don't know what he's going to do. And, and finally, 
after they get, they got to they tune it in evidently, like it was real loud at first, and then they, they get it all right. And this dude's first words is a proposal. You want, oh, I knew I'd get the ladies crap with that, right? But, but what I'm saying is this, he made his first words count. Men, here's what it means. When you read, this is how Adam, this is his first words to his wife, you're responsible for budgeting for a date night. You're the one that ought to be suggesting date nights. And if you're thinking, oh, that don't do it for me, I don't care what does it for you. It does it for her. You think I like them fancy restaurants we go to? Dear goodness, no. They're outrageous. They don't give enough food. And I got to dress up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that right there is why I'll keep paying $100 for a meal on every anniversary. That one comes after. <laughs> right? Lead in romance, man. Here's what, here's what I really want you to understand is you ladies should amen that date thing, right? Here's another thing that breaks my heart. You men ought to be the one to realize when there's a problem and ask for counseling. I don't know. I, I called a couple of buddies this week just to, to kind of check, you know, do the kind of safe kind of stuff. And I was like, man, you ever had a man come to you about counseling? One. One. That was it. Why? If you're a spiritual leader, why? Because eventually if it gets bad enough, she'll do it. Yeah, that's good leadership. Way to go. Right? That's a way to lead. Girls, he's supposed to take the lead in the relationship, right? I, I, get, I sometimes get girls ask me, even when we were in youth group, they ask, well, is it okay if I ask him out? I'm going to be blunt and honest because I got a daughter now. This ain't biblical, so I'm over here, okay? I don't care who asks who out. I don't think scripture cares who asks who out. Me, as a spiritual leader in my house, as a daddy of a woman, future woman, little girl, I'm going to tell you right now, if you ain't got the audacity, that was way too close. If you ain't got the audacity, I will repent for that one. That one was wrong. I, if you ain't got the audacity to ask my daughter out face to face, you ain't never going to be no leader over her. Again, I don't think that's what the word, maybe I should stay in the middle. It does point to that. But I don't think that's what he meant all the way. I'm just telling you my feelings on it. Kind of like that marriage thing. We all look at that as like this old southern tradition thing, right? If you ain't got the guts to ask her to marry you, how you going to be the leader? Huh? Man. Fourth thing. I got to get off of that because we'll do a whole other sermon again. Fourth thing. Provision, spiritually, romantically, now in sacrifice. Paul's really going with this. And Ephesians says he's to love her like Christ loved the church, which, by the way, men, is not a domineering. Let me control and use you kind of leadership. It's the kind of leadership that puts her needs above your own. That's what Christ did, right? It's the kind of leadership that comes not from being served, but serving like Jesus, forgiving like Jesus, which we'll get to that forgiving thing at the very end. Right. You remember when Jesus did some foot washing? You imagine your leader. Sitting down, washing your feet. Men, hear me. Wash your woman's feet. Maybe that's the kind of foreplay you need to get tonight going. I'm, I'm being dead serious, man. Take it wherever you want to take it, right? But I'm just telling you, like, that's the kind of leadership, servant leadership we're to be having. And we mess up when we don't. Oh, I worked all day. My feet hurt. She hurt. No! Man up! If, if God's going to hold you to a higher standard, I think I can too. Right? Verse 31. 
Paul's reference, what does, he, what does he go back to? He goes back to that thing in Genesis. He's to leave his previous life and cleave to his wife. Now, as he writes this to the man in Ephesians, it was kind of written to both of them in Genesis, and it's still to both of them. Don't, don't let me misconstrue that, okay? But you know how hard it is to leave that safety net of home where things are taken care of for you and you ain't got no responsibilities. And they say, yeah, you got to leave that. You got to cleave to this new one. For a guy, though, what's he saying? He's going deeper, I think, in Ephesians. He said, you got to leave all your best buddies behind because she's your best buddy now. You don't get to go to the club with the dudes. You might have to not go hunting on a Saturday morning to stay at home, tend to stuff. Right? That wasn't even for you, bro. That was for somebody else. But if you caught it, hopefully they caught it. If you in the house, now I hope you really caught it. Hint, 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 hint. Right? Here's what, here's what Paul compares to Jesus' relationship with us. Jesus did what? He left his heavenly home and he laid down his life for us. You, you leave your home, you lay down your life for your wife. And, and please, let me, let me get this right here, man, because we gotta understand this right. Laying down your life simply doesn't mean being willing to die for her. Oh, I'll take a bullet for my wife. I'm a hero. What'd he freaking do? You wouldn't live for her for your whole lives. Right? I don't think you can, I don't think you can honestly be willing to die for something you're not first willing to live for. Right? Because then it becomes a pride thing if you die for him. You think you're going to get to stand before the Lord and be like, God, I died for it. Didn't I do a good job? He's like, I asked you to live for her, though. I asked you to sacrifice for her. I asked you to die to all the old things that you thought was important and realize that she's the most important. It means that in decisions, I give her needs preferences more than the weight of my own. Right? But let's get real, real with this. because We don't want to misuse this, right? Guys, if I'm serving like Christ served the church, that means 90, probably 95% of the places, right, that we disagree, which by the way, submission means there was a disagreement, okay? If you just go with them when you agree with them, that's not submission, that's agreement. All right, so that means there was an area we disagreed. About 90% of them, right, I'm going to end up doing what Crystal wants to do. You want to know why? Because probably 90% of them aren't spiritual matters that we disagree on. It's probably where to eat. It's probably what color carpet. It's probably what couch to buy. It's probably how big to make the windows in the front of the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care. I don't care because I want, I, that's just, that's her thing, right? Their preferences. And mine should come second to hers. Your preferences come second to hers. You understand that? Now, if we're talking spiritual matters, different, different ballgames. So 10%, you got a different ballgame. And I, I, the reason I say that, please understand this. I'm not thinking you should have a 90, 10% in your relationship with worldly and spiritually. I hope you agree with your spouse on 90% of spiritual things. Maybe more. That make, does that make sense? I want to make sure I didn't mess you guys up with the percentage idea right there. I'm hoping that you found an equal partner and you both submit to one another and you both are in agreement with, with most of it. And yeah, there's going to be some small things you disagree on, right? Four ways the husband should love his wife. Four ways she should hear that she's loved. Your wife learns about God from you. It does. And when we mess that up, man, that's scary. And you're also supposed to be learning to be like God as you love her. I think I'll harp on this section so long, guys, because this is my burden. I want our church to be filled with men that are spiritual leaders. And we've got some darn good ones compared to a lot of churches I've been in, okay? I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying I want more to the group. 
I want, I, want, I want more to it. I don't want there to be a question of why women got to be doing everything. Why there's more women volunteers in VBS than men. Why there's more women volunteers at the festival than men. Why there's more women volunteers at everything that goes on at the church than men. You want to know why? Because they're willing to step up and we're not. Enough of the soapbox thing for us? Huh? Woe is right, brother. Huh? Humanity's fall happened because man failed to lead. You, you want to go back? We always talk about her having the first sin. Right? I mean, I told you all before, you know why a woman doesn't pick where you go to eat, right? Because the last time she did, the whole world got flipped upside down. It makes sense, right? So, of course, she shouldn't get to pick where to eat. Right? That's why she don't know. Right? But that wasn't even the first. I just got the nasty look. That was good. Right? That, that wasn't even the first sin. It wasn't. I prove it. Go to Genesis. Now I'm afraid to say the verses. Go to Genesis 3. I know it's in the chapter. How about that? Go to Genesis 3. Go back to the garden and look at it. What does it say? He was with the woman when she ate. Meaning what? He failed to lead spiritually is what it means. He failed to lead protection wise. Right? You want to tell, you want me to tell you how it should have played down? This little punk was scared to get involved, so he's sitting over on the tree. He's allowed to sit on and he's watching this whole thing played out. Maybe he's tired of her nagging already. I don't know. I'm being serious. And maybe he's like, we'll find out right now what happens with death and eating from the tree. Right? Maybe that's it. That's a punk move. That's not agape love. You know what I'm saying? What should have happened is he should have got his lazy butt up from the shade and he should have come over and square kicked the Satan straight back to Satan's place. That was really good. I kept it all. I'm smooth, brother. You know what I'm saying? Right? He should have. He should have got up and said, look, you ain't got no place here. That's my woman you're talking to. Get yourself out of here. That's a man's man. Not let somebody talk to your wife like that. Let somebody lead your wife away. I'm going to be blunt and honest. Not for all of you because I know it ain't true all the time. You want to know what we got problems in our marriage with spouses leaving spouses? Because you ain't manning up and doing what you're supposed to do. Or maybe she ain't doing what she's supposed to do. I'll play it both ways. Right? They wouldn't have to go looking if we was doing what we was doing. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Am I right? Or y'all just being quiet because you don't like the topic? You ain't got to like it. I don't care. This is anointed by the Lord. I done prayed way over this thing more than anything else. Huh? Man. The first sin was a sin of omission. I prove it again. After it happened. So not only if you if you think, well, the word with, that wasn't really supposed to be there. Then why when God came down all mad, did he use the word my daddy always used when I was in trouble? Where are you? What's he say? Look back at it. It's a little bit later in chapter 3. He says, Adam, where are you? You think when my daddy said, Philip, where are you? I thought, it was, oh, he's got candy for me. No, it was all crap. What did I do now? My boy done got so smart that he done figured it out. He comes in with the question. What did I forget? You learning, boy. Good job. We're going to train you up right. You're going to make a good husband one day, right? He, he comes and he says, Adam, where are you? What's Adam doing at this moment? Moron. What's he doing? He's hiding. He already knows he screwed up. Yeah, I ain't going there. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Regroup. If you didn't get it, shame on you. Right? Men, all kidding aside, for real. When we start assuming our relationship, our leadership position in the church, 
and in our families, we'll see this world flipped upside down. We'll see problems begin to diminish. We will. When you're, men, your family ought to be the most impacted when you're leading it. Matter of fact, you are impacting and leading it one way or the other. You better check which way it's going. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Huh? I'll be honest. If some of you showed the same level initiative at work that you show in your family, you'd be fired. Huh? I can't get off this box, man. I'm just telling you, right? Leading your family is your most important assignment. And so all you men don't hate me. I'm going to transition out to the women. Right? That way all of you hate me. Huh? I ain't scared. Right? Move on. Two thoughts from the, for the woman's perspective. Notice how I did do it backwards because I think the leadership of the man should have been addressed first. Right? And I'm still going to address it through this section. Right? Two thoughts as we move on to the woman. If you only submit, I already gave one of them. If you only submit to him when you agree, when you think he made a good call, that's not submission. Okay? So some of y'all thought that was it. That ain't it. You messed up. Right? Yeah, yeah, you got to disagree. And a lot of times, here's one that maybe is a little more blunt for our, our day in town right now. The second thing, the reason you don't have a husband who's willing to lead is because you've always done it. You, you let that sink in. You've always filled the role, so why should he? You've taken the initiative, so why would he? Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong for him. I'm just saying, like, the weight of leadership that you would put on his shoulders, if he had to, I bet that weight would change him. I bet it would shift some things around. I bet he could be the husband called to love like Christ. Right? I believe he's the one who could could not only submit and die. I bet he's the one who wouldn't wouldn't dominate, but he'd lead like Christ in a sacrificial way. You know, I want to lead in such a way. I thought about this this week, man. I want to lead in such a way that it is a delight for Crystal to submit to my leadership spiritually. Just like, and here's where the idea come from. Not from me, believe me. She probably questions a lot of it, right? But yeah, it comes to this. It is, I don't know if you guys have ever understood it. You've got to be in a relationship with Christ to get it. That's why he's writing to the church, right? You know how much of a delight it is to submit to the leadership of Christ? You know how easy it is to just, just do something, whether you wanted to or not, but it takes the burden off you. This is what Christ said. I got to do it this way. Right? This is what the word says. I got to do, I got to do it the way the word says. It, it, it just takes the burden off you. Like, you're like, whew. Right? I, I, I won't, I want to be that kind of, when I think of, of, of me being able to submit to Christ that way, and then this verse saying, you know, that I'm supposed to love her like Christ loved the church, I want her to be able to submit that way. Right? I want it to be an enjoyable submission. Not a miserable one. Not one where she questions every day why. I, I want to I wanna lead in a way where independence for me becomes a burden for her. I want that absence while she's in Columbia for four days a week to be a burden. Right? Because we're apart. Not because I want school to be a burden, because then it becomes a burden for me too. Right? Not that, but it's just the apartness. Alright? I've already said this, but please understand, wife to husband. Y'all understand that? Don't none of you men be telling my wife to submit to y'all. She submits to me. Wife to husband. Right? Just like I don't expect none of your women to submit to me. Right? It's not woman to man. It's wife to husband. Please get that, because the world messes that thing up, and that's why a lot of people hate this verse, right? To the wife, he says, you're reflecting Jesus and how you submit to that leadership. That's a big burden, ain't it? I mean, think about that. You're reflecting. You're reflecting Christ and how you submit to that leadership. Submit to your husband. And it does say in everything. You know, some people ask, well, do I submit to him about this? Is it everything? Uh, well, yeah. OK, then, yes. Right. What, what, what does that mean? Here, here's what it doesn't mean. First, it doesn't mean dominance of man. We hit on that already, right? 
Nor does it mean, ladies, you allow yourself to put in a situation where you can be harmed. That is not what he's talking about. Okay? Verse 22, submit to him as to the Lord, as a way of serving God. Not in place of God. He's not a deity. Some of you knuckleheads want to use this verse against your wife. When Remember, it's her verse. So you didn't stay in your verse. You stayed on somebody else's verse. You want to use it as like you are God. If you take that role, brother, you an idol, and both y'all in trouble. You understand it? As to the Lord, what, what, what does it really mean? I do this because it, del- it delights my father to do this. I don't care if it delights him. I care about delighting the father. You see how that just changes the whole thing? I, I would assume, for me at least, I would assume as a woman that makes it a little better, right? Because I'm not doing this because he's special. Then think of it this way, just to prove the whole demeaning thing, right? Brother-in-law is a cop. And here, I would hope at least mostly, hopefully he got the hunting thing now since I know he was pointed out for it. I didn't know that, right? And here he submits to me. But when we get on that street out there and I'm speeding, guess what? The roles get reversed, right? Now I got to submit to him. You write me a ticket, we'll square off in the yard, right? But I would like everyone online to notice that was not an example of submission at all. But think about it. You're not, you're not submitting to a person. You're submitting to a role. You're not submitting to a person. You're, you're submitting to a position. Does that, does that make, I want to make sure we get this, man, because a lot of people just, they just, they mess this thing up. Maybe this will help you, right? Yeah, as we talk about releasing that responsibility and you get to feel some relief. Tony Evans says it this way. Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man. Amen. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying the woman bows so the guy can punch you square in the nose. Because sometimes we need to get punched square in the nose. Maybe a couple times. Guys, spiritual leadership, headship, is not a license to do what you want to do. It's an empowerment to do what you ought to do. Huge difference. Third thing, last thing, maybe. I'm just kidding. I know y'all looked at your watch and had a heart attack just now. <laughs> Heaven forbid you spend more than an hour and a half with the Lord once a week. And the forgiveness, everybody's like, you know, we're passing the plate next week. I don't care. <laughs> Never have. And forgiveness, I got that all worded wrong. I shouldn't read my own notes. Forgiveness is required in marriage. How about that? Why? Because it's a taste of the grace of God. Oof. The biggest learning curve in marriage, I hinted at earlier, is in the first year. Especially if you do this thing right. Now, if you didn't do it right, it ain't the end of the world. I don't think you're going to hell because you live with somebody because you were married, okay? But just think about it if you did it right. The very first time you're together is after that, after, after the marriage. First time toothpaste is left on the sink. First time the toilet is nasty. She is still mad about that, man. That's bad, right? First time it's dirty underwear. It didn't make it to the hamper. Let's get real, real, right? First time she cluttered up your dresser because she had too much stuff. First time she took over your half of the closet because she got too much shoes, right? First time she left her women's stuff all over the bathroom, right? You don't want to see that, right? You didn't even know that's how it was because you came from an all-man house at the house, right? What is all that? Get that out of here, right? You've got a decision to make. We're going to make this thing work or am I going to let this stuff get in the way? You don't let this stuff get in the way. Come on, man. Right? You roll with it. You change with it. It's all right. Some of y'all, some of y'all see that stuff and you're like, man, how did I not see that while I was dating? Because he hit it. 
We're not going to let you see that junk while we're dating. Huh? I remember I got sick one time while Crystal and I were dating. And, like, I was trying to hold the door shut while she was wanting to come in and tend to me. I'm like, no, woman, I don't want you to see this. Stay away. Like, this is nasty up in here. And it was bad, dog. You know what I'm saying? Kept that door shut. And the bad thing was it was at her mama's house. So, like, then I got to clean it all up so nobody sees that door. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was scary. I thought that was it. I was about to say, well, when I come out, she's going to send me home. And it's going to be the end of that one. Right? Man. You get disappointed. Why? They weren't supposed to make you happy. God makes you happy. Right? You've elevated that relationship to something that was supposed to be. What if God's, this is going to sound harsh, but this is true. What if God's intention in marriage was not for you to be happy and for you not to have a perfect mate? Think about, let that sink in and think about that way, right? Now, I don't think God wanted you going to find the person you hate the most. Well, God didn't want me to be happy and didn't want me to have the perfect mate. You're the one. No. That's not what I mean either. I'm just saying, like, what if part of marriage, and since it's supposed to represent our relationship with Christ, what if part of that is understanding the love for an imperfect person? The forgiveness of an imperfect person. What if the main intention in marriage, like he's talking about this relationship, is to make you like Jesus? So therefore, in marriage, he gives you a chance to be up close to a sinner and see all their faults and realize Jesus still loves me. I still love them. Huh? Wow. Love your wives as Christ. Love the church. You ever stop to think what that really means? I'm going to challenge you guys. Now you're going to finish my notes so you can amen that one. Right? I'm going to challenge you guys. I I want you to ask your spouse, both sides, a question this week seven times. That's only one a day, guys. Six times. Six times. Right? You you should do it a day too. Seven. Seven is the perfect number, spiritually speaking. Let's be spiritual. Right. I I want you to come on. I want you to ask your wife, how can I serve you? (laughs) Why'd you go there? What is wrong with y'all? That's why y'all can't sit in the holy section right there. If that's the answer, amen. But that is not where I was going for once in my life. Once in my life, I was being serious. Right. Think about it. What, what, if, what if you went? See, here, here's the problem, and, and and please, please understand. I really relate to you guys on this one. I married up, way up, right? So my wife is smarter than me. She's 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 a different class of looks than me. Like it, it's you know, we always said the pastor I was speaking to when I when I fell in love with her when she was still an atheist. I always like really worried about that because I knew it was wrong, but it doesn't happen, you know. And whatever, I wimped out and couldn't say no, right? So like as we this, he always told me, he goes, man, the way she studies, you in trouble when she gets it. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble because she'd be studying scripture and listening to scripture all the time. I'm going to be honest. When I get back into church from work, I don't want to listen to scripture. I want to listen to music. I need to relax and detox for 10 minutes before I get home so I don't act wrong when I get home. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's all I got is 10 minutes. See, you guys that drive further away from work, you got it made in the shape because you get a longer detox period. I don't get that long detox period. It's got to come fast, right? So, so, so think about it. You want to turn your woman on? Here you go. I told you I wasn't going to finish my notes, so I'm not going to. We're going to be on chapter five next week. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys. All right. I don't want you to call me a liar or anything like that. So I'm going to stop my notes right there. You, you want to turn your wife on? I don't do it for this reason, but this will. You say, man, I don't know how to be a spiritual leader. What, 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 what is the scripture really? What's it really saying? Is it saying you need to come home and preach a sermon to your wife every week? No, that is not what it's saying. It's saying in matters that are spiritual, you lead. 
So you look at your wife this week and you say, how can I pray for you? It'll blow her socks off. Tell you right now, socks gone. Boom. She didn't have socks on. Man, never mind. God, Lord, you're making it way too hard for me today, man. Why? Why you got to do that? Right. I hope y'all enjoying this because this, man, I'm getting, I'm, I did not turn her on just now when I did it. So don't do that. Don't do that. But, but seriously, think about it. What if you were to, what if you were to come home? See, here's the problem. We, we, we want to fight each other rather than fight together. Because you come home from working all day and you think that was your job of providing for the family. So now you think you get to come home and relax. No. Your job at work was your job at work. When you get home, now it's your job for the house. Right? That means don't come home and tell her, hey, baby, it was a hard day. You keep these kids and take them away from me. No. She had a hard day, too. That means you come home and you put her needs ahead of your needs and you just swallow your little angry pill and go on about the business attendance of them little brats that's driving you both crazy. You, you understand now? We real enough now? Right? And then you ask her, while I'm dealing with these heathens, what can I do to serve you? How can I pray for you? Give me something specific I can pray for you about. Right? You got that big paper coming up? I've been praying for that paper. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I prayed that God would use that paper to highlight your career. Even though that ain't got nothing to do with the career, but that's going to highlight the studies and, and what you're doing, right? Man, if we would just get real. You know why some of you don't, some of y'all right now, when I said, when I challenged you to just ask seven times, you were thinking, I'm going to ask her when she falls asleep. <laughs> you're thinking, I'm going to wait to right when we lay in the bed. And like when she, she begins to doze off, I'm going to be like, hey, babe, what can I do to serve you? Oh, you don't say nothing. I'm going to go to bed too. <laughs> or in the morning when you're leaving, when she's still in the bed. Right? You're going to be like, hey, Oh, okay. Well, let me know when I get home. Right? You're afraid of the answer. It goes both ways, by the way, guys. This this is true, vice versa. I don't just mean husbands. I mean you wives too. If you can, Ellie had a bad day. Don't shove the kids on him. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying like we ought to be fighting to see who submits to one another's needs the most. Who can serve who the most? You know, the the whole world outside the, the the church world. They, they look at marriages and like, oh, I don't want a Christian marriage. But then if it's done right, they're like, oh, wow. I want what they got. I want what they got. I told Crystal Monday, I think it was maybe Tuesday, all her all her friends in, in, in right defense, they were all like, they made me think back to when we were getting married. She had some close friends who were like, are you sure he's the one? We can run. Wedding day, guys, wedding day. Bridesmaid straight up says, like, we can run right now. I'd have hunted all y'all down. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't have cared. Right. But but that that's they're worried. Same thing with some of her law friends. They were all like, I'm going to tell you right now, like it's going to be the biggest strain you've ever had on your marriage. We laid in bed the other night, like laughing. Like I, I love her more the last year and a half than I loved her the 10, 15 years before. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I didn't know what the years were. It's OK. My wife don't care either. Right. But but think about that. Like 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 that's that's where you can get And the world sees it. And they're like, oh, I, I want that. Why wouldn't you want that? But in order to get that, it goes, oh, I didn't know it was going to tie in. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus. In order to get that, you've got to be willing to sacrifice something else that could have been a good thing. This is the illustration with Haley, right? Like if you want something, you've got to be willing to sacrifice something else a lot of times. Man, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your wants and desires and put hers first. Women, vice versa. Right? And you do so 
because we're commanded by God to do so. I don't even know because I didn't even ask, but I firmly believe that's why they got all them years together. Right? Serving. Servanthood. I think we'll still be on marriage next week, but if not, study on parenthood. Right? Because that's the next relationship he goes into. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for this morning. God, in all honesty, it was, it was hard this week. I didn't know where to go and what to do. And then you just brought it all together. And that's how it should be, Lord. Lord, we should be surrendering our lives that when things are hard and we don't understand them. And we don't know why. We're still willing to say, yes, I will. Because it's your command as Father Abba. God, please move in a special way this morning, Lord God. God, I pray that you get some you get some righteous anger, Lord God. You come on up in our houses and you flip up tables, Lord God. You turn over beds, Lord God. And you tear down walls, Lord God. And you get us husbands acting like the husbands we're supposed to be. Then, Lord God, you do the same thing to the wives. The same thing to the children. God, you do the same thing on our, on our jobs. God, I pray that you come on in every relationship, Lord God, and you turn things upside down. So that a watching world can relate to the love you have for us and the obedience we have for you. Father God, I know if we do it right, Lord God, everything else will just work out and get into place it's supposed to be in, Lord God. So, so I, I want us to get it right here so that we can get it right at home, so that we can get it right in the world. Help us be like those men of Acts, Lord God, <laughs> that the Romans were looking for and they were all mad about, Lord God. And when they went looking, they didn't even know their names. So they said, I want to find the men who have turned the world upside down. God, help us to be those men. Those kingdom members. Flipping the script on everything. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Give us the power to do so, Lord God. God, take us back to the beginning of 18 and let us realize this this is why. This is how we can do it because we're empowered by the spirit that lives inside of us. And for no other reason. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen.